Okay, so let's just once again just bow our hearts as we come before the word together. Father, we thank you, Lord, again, that your word is living and powerful. Father, we thank you too that your word will always accomplish that for which it is sent forth. And Father, in our own lives, we know that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, your word tells us that we should be. And Father, we recognize that our own efforts, Lord, our own will, desire to do these things is not sufficient. We need your grace, we need the working of your Holy Spirit, and we need your word to be sort of so rooted in us. And so Father, as we start this morning a, a journey in a new book, Lord, speak to us, we pray. And Lord, I pray that we will be edified, we will be encouraged. Lord, that also we will be challenged, but Lord, that we wouldn't be so stubborn as to not be willing to move. Lord, when you lay upon our hearts, Lord, that which you need for us to change. And Lord, we recognize there are still many things in our lives you're working on. Uh, but we thank you, Father, for the promise that you who have begun a good work love us so much that you will continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just give you this time now. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last uh, couple of months in all honesty, I've been really seeking the Lord as to what we should do once we would got to the end of our journey through the Bible. And um, we got to the beginning of the year and it was kind of still a blank canvas. And then the Lord really just laid on my heart the whole um, series of looking at love, God's love for us, our love for him and our love for each other. And then looking at the promises, which was just going to be a one-week thing, but turned into a three-week thing. And uh, I hope that's been a blessing. Certainly to me it's been a blessing just to look and be reminded of the incredible promises that we have in God's word. Um, and then got to Sunday, and I thought I'd kind of worked out where God was taking us. And then Monday morning, it was like, no, that's not right. Lord, what are we going to do? So, And then the Lord laid on my heart, and I feel absolutely convinced and convicted that we are to begin a journey through the book of Kings. Um, there's so much in the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, um, that will be a challenge to us. Um, it's a book of uh, failures. It's a book of people that wanted to get it right and so many of them got it wrong. But it's also a book of um, some of the incredible ways that God uses individuals. Um, and we'll come up against people like Elijah and Elisha. Uh, and we'll see the way that these individuals just touched and changed nations because of their willingness to surrender to God's will in their lives. So we're going to begin this journey now. The book of Kings sits... Sometime um, after, uh, really, the, the time of the Exodus, we go through the history then Israel, or in the land of Israel, uh, under Joshua, we have the time of the judges, and then that leads on to the time of the monarchy. Now, Israel jumped the gun. God had already preordained that there was going to be a monarchy. It was one of the prerequisites of the Messiah coming, that there had to be a monarchy. The two prerequisites were the law and the kingdom. God establishes the law at Sinai, but at the time then we move into the land and after the time of the judges, um, God was to establish uh, establish the, the monarchy and David was already the man that God had foreordained. But Israel jumped the gun and they end up with Saul, um, a number of issues, a number of problems uh, that we see in the life of Saul and we spent some time um, a little while back now looking through First Samuel, uh, we did it as part of our Bible study for, for a time, um, just looking through there and obviously then the calling of David and David's um, um, rise to um, the, the king of the nation. Um, and then obviously the rest of Second Samuel really takes us through the career of David 
And it brings us up to then the time now we get this kind of transition. And, and we've actually, I mean, the, the book of um, Kings, although we have them in our Bible as First and Second Kings, um, if you look at the commentaries and so on, you'll find that we've actually got First, Second, Third and Fourth Kings um, is the way that some uh, of the ancient scrolls and so on have it. Because really Samuel 1 and 2 and then Kings 1 and 2 give us this kind of whole picture of the history of the nation. Now, the other thing to, to mention is as we look at the, the book of Kings, and again, this period of time here, really from the end, the closing of David's life, uh, the end of his reign, right the way through up until the time of the exile. When, uh, first of all, the northern kingdom was taken captive to Assyria in about 722 uh, BC, and then finally, uh, in 606 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes upon Israel, or upon Judah rather, the southern kingdom, um, and they are put under tribute to start with, and then eventually, in 587, the kingdom is, uh, is destroyed, and as um, Zedekiah, the final king, is taken captive. And that brings us to an end of the monarchy as it was at that time. But we'll see as we go through Kings that God had made this promise, uh, this unconditional promise to David, and we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that his descendants will sit on the throne forever. So the monarchy was never to end. Uh, and we'll look as we go through, uh, particularly when we get towards the end of the book of uh, Second Kings, and we see how um, the transition into the, the captivity occurs, and we'll see how God engineered the circumstances, that the final king is removed, taken to Babylon, and then some 400, 500 years later, some magi travel from this area back to anoint the king, to, to welcome the new king. Uh, and we see how this, the throne, in a sense, is shifted then back to Israel, how God has this wonderful plan that is just unfolding. Um, when we look at Chronicles and Kings side by side, because if any of you have read through Kings and Chronicles, you'll note there's some very similar things. They seem to kind of run parallel for a large part. Kings tends to focus on the northern kingdom. Kings focusing on Israel, whereas Chronicles tends to focus on Judah. Now, they, there's some overlap, of course, but typically when we're looking at the book of Kings, we're looking at the northern kingdom and the events that took place there. When we look at Chronicles, we're looking at the events and things that took place more from the perspective of the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, so there's kind of a, a subtle difference between the two books. And there's a lot of overlap, but there's a lot of information that we get in one that we don't get in the other. And when we put them together we get a complete picture so this is what we're going to do what we're going to journey and we'll see how uh, the Lord takes us uh, through this I mean the, the writing of the Bible really uh, takes us from about 1400 BC up until obviously about 100 AD uh, this kind of whole period of time here is when the Bible's actually penned but obviously it spans right from the beginning uh, one of the things I mentioned yesterday to one of the young people that asked me a question we have this word in our vocabulary prehistoric well, really, it's a bit of a misnomer because there is no prehistory because the Bible starts in the beginning. And I think you'll agree that the beginning has to be the beginning or it's not the beginning. You know, the beginning is the start. So we have a record right from the beginning. There is nothing before the beginning. Otherwise, the beginning isn't the beginning. I think you understand what I'm saying. And so the Bible covers everything from the beginning of the creation, from everything that we see in Genesis right the way through to uh, the end of time, uh, which we see in the book of Revelation. But there are so many lessons, so let's kind of jump in. 
and uh, we'll see uh, again what uh, the Lord has in store for us. So we start 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 1. Now King David was old and stricken in years. He's about 70 by this point but he had a tough life. Uh, many, many battles have been fought and so on. Um, but now at this point in his, his life, um, sometime when he was around about 63, 64, um, was the time that he'd gone out and um, the leaders of the army had made the decision that David was to no more go out in battle. And so for the remaining years of his life, um, he stays back in Jerusalem. Um, and so these, these kind of last years of his life now, uh, we've told he was stricken in years. And they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Okay? Um, typically, you know what it's like. As you get older, you have to turn the thermostat up. I remember whenever I used to go into granddad's house, it was so hot. And he used to be glad to get out just to get some fresh air. But that's just typically the way it is, isn't it? You know, the, the metabolism changes a little bit as we get older and so on. And we're told, Wherefore a servant said to him, Let there be sought for my lord the king, a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, that my lord the king may get heat. So basically, um, a very elaborate way of getting a hot water bottle, in effect. Uh, that was what was being done. There was nothing sexual in this, as we will see in the text. So we read, So they sought uh, for a fair damsel throughout all the coast of Israel, and found uh, Abishag, a Shulamite, and brought her to the king. Now, a reference to the name there, Shulamite. There are some that feel that this young lady is the lady that uh, we then see referenced in uh, the Song of Songs that Solomon then speaks of, may possibly be one of the same. But we're told the damsel was very fair and cherished the king and ministered to the king, but the king knew her not. Again, there was no sexual relationship. She was purely there just to provide warmth. Um, for the king. Now, it's an important reason that we're told this, as you'll see as we go on. Because verse 5, we then read, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And it sounds like quite an uh, elaborate thing going on here. Fifty men that are going to run before his chariot and the horses. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why has thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. Now, just a quick casual reading of this. Um, you could uh, mistakenly come to the conclusion that uh, Absalom and Adonijah both have the same mother because of the way the text is translated in English. That's not the case, uh, and we're actually told quite clearly in Second Samuel chapter 3 of the sons of David and the respective mothers of those sons. Uh, if we look at the, the wives, we're familiar with a number of these names. Of course, Micah, we remember, was Saul's daughter um, because of the situation, and she despised David when he was bringing the ark back and dancing before the Lord and so on. Um, as a result of this, uh, they have no children. David and Michael have no children. But then we have uh, Ahinoam, uh, and then Abigail, you remember, was Na- uh, Nabal's widow, um, and then other names you may remember here, and then of course Bathsheba, another name we're very familiar with. Well, this lady, uh, Ahinoam, uh, has Ammon. Now, Ammon, you remember, is the one um, that we find is killed by Absalom because he rapes Tamar, who is then is Absalom's sister. So effectively, his half-sister, as a result of this, Absalom then sets up and kills him. And this then causes Absalom then to go into exile. Eventually, he's brought back to Jerusalem, but it becomes a very messy, sordid business. 
So we have these children. We know that Absalom then also dies as a result of the whole situation, um, that uh, David's army goes out against Absalom after themselves being forced to flee uh, Jerusalem, while Absalom kind of sets up his throne there for a short while. But we don't know about this individual. Now, scholars generally assume that for whatever reason, he's passed off the scene. Because what happens next is that we then get Adonijah. So this is the character that we're looking at now in First Kings chapter 1. And he's the daughter of Haggis. So again, not the same mother as Absalom had. There's no contradiction in the text. It's just our understanding the way we kind of read it and the way it's been translated. Um, and then we have the other uh, sons finally coming down to Solomon, who's the one we're really kind of very interested in, and then Nathan as well. Now, both of those are important. When we look at the Gospels, uh, we look at Matthew's Gospel, we look at Luke's Gospel, we find that Matthew traces the genealogy of Jesus down from Solomon, looking at the royal line, the kingly line. But Luke chases, uh, takes the genealogy of Jesus down from Nathan, the son of David, all the way down to Jesus. And there's very specific reasons why that's done. And we'll cover that maybe some other time. So this, uh, these are the sons uh, as we have them. Now, the other concubines that uh, David has as well, and there's other children uh, that are born that are recorded in Scripture, but those are the ones we're most interested in. Now, again, just that line at the bottom, um, that his mother bore him after Absalom. So, in other words, he was, this uh, Adonijah was younger, the younger brother, half-brother of Absalom. Something else I just want to highlight here, because we see something that probably reminds us of other scriptures too. Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Now, I couldn't help but just think about this. We've got Haman and we've got Satan himself. Haman, of course, loves to try and appoint himself to this position of authority in the realm. Um, you know, the whole idea of, you know, what, who would the king delight to honor more than me is Haman's uh, perspective. Um, and so appoints himself effectively to this position. Um, Satan, of course, we read in Isaiah 14. And there makes these uh, statements um, that I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mound of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So these ideas are, are kind of presented. Um, this pride in the heart that we see. Now, Jared has already taken us through this morning. Proverbs 4 verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. And you see how easy it is for your heart to lead you somewhere where God is not leading you. And this young individual ends up becoming a puppet for Satan. Satan just using this young man for a, a, a way, in a sense, of trying to bring an attack against the line of the seed. The line that would eventually come down to Jesus Jared quoted this uh, scripture as well from Matthew 15, verses 9 to 20. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. Jesus makes it clear that the heart is so important. And really, one of the biggest things we have to deal with is the way that our heart leads us to all sorts of pride and arrogance and so on. And this whole situation we see in the kingdom at this point is purely because of this pride uh, that's in the heart of Adonijah. Now, there was no question that it had been already established, and we'll see in a moment, that Solomon was to be the next king. And yet, we read that Adonijah confirmed with Joab, the son of Zariah, 
And now he was the, the captain of the army at this point. And with Abithar, the priest, uh, and they follow, uh, as they following Adonijah helped him. Now again, why would they do this? You know, Joab, you know, hero or villain, he does some wonderful things for David, but clearly another man that is led out of his own heart, out of what he wants, his own desires. We find, if we look back, uh, that he ends up killing Abner, who was Saul's right-hand man. And eventually Abner, because he comes disillusioned uh, with uh, the, uh, the lineage of Saul after Saul has died, Abner eventually uh, agrees to support David. Um, and Joab then, after this kind of peaceful agreement has been reached, still goes out and kills Abner. And David is furious about it. He's really unhappy. Uh, David makes it known that it wasn't his uh, decision. He didn't order it. Uh, it was purely Joab on his own. Abithar also is an interesting character. He was one of only, he was the only one rather that survived a massacre by Saul at a place called Nob. This was where all the priests were. Um, Saul had found out that David had fled there, and so he sends. Um, some of his men there, and uh, a man called Duag uh, that we read of, ends up um, on Saul's command killing all of the priests that are there. And the whole of his family, over 70 people, are wiped out. He's the only one that escapes. Now, is there the possibility, and some suggest maybe, that he still had a bit of a grudge about that even David had gone there in the first place because his family had been wiped out on account of David fleeing and going to that place. Um, and maybe this was his way of, of getting back at David uh, because he knew that David had already said that Solomon was to be king. But again, all these things come from the heart. And you realize how many issues and problems stem from that particular point. But then we're told, but Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei and Ray, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So they stay true to their king and to what David already uh, declared. And again, the promise to Solomon had already been widely known. If we look back in Chronicles, First Chronicles 22, uh, verse 5 to 10, we read this. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. And I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death, and this actually was at least three years before his death that David starts this work. Okay, so this announcement that Solomon was to be the next king was at least three years uh, known. Then he called for Solomon's son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made uh, great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. You see, so it's not David that's making the decision, it's God that is ordaining that Solomon is to be the next king. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be his, uh, my son, and I will be his father, and will establish the, th- the established throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So again, this wonderful promise that God reiterates here in First Chronicles 22. 
So back into Kings in verse 9 we read, And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle uh, by the stone of uh, Zoeleth, which is by Enrogel, and called all his brethren, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, and the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he called not. So he purposely excludes them. He doesn't invite them. Firstly, because he knows they're going to be opposed to what he's trying to do, this coup, in a sense, that he's trying to pull off here. Wherefore, Nathan, okay, so Nathan, uh, the prophet, Nathan is the individual who had already gone and spoken to David after the situation with Bathsheba. And clearly, as a result of this situation, uh, Nathan has become a very close and trusted friend of David's. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying... Have you heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, does reign, and David, our Lord, knows it not? So, presumably, from the comment we saw earlier, David was aware that Adonijah was making moves to try and take the kingdom, had done nothing to prevent it. But David, at this point, is not aware that this is now actually taking place. And so Nathan goes to Bathsheba, and they try and see if they can do something about it. And Nathan says, Now, therefore, uh, come, let me, I pray, give thee counsel that thou may save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. Now, this isn't just about them at that particular time. This is another attack on the seed. Because God has now already said that the the line that's going to go down to the Messiah is going to go through Solomon. Now, if Adonijah becomes the king, the chances are Solomon would have been put to death. And as a result of that, Nathan realizes the significance. Now, whether Nathan realized the significance in terms of the line of the seed, we don't know. But certainly he understood that Solomon's life was in very real danger because of this situation. So we read, Nathan speaking to Bathsheba, Go and get thee unto King David, and say unto him, Didst not not thou, my lord, O king, swear unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Why then does Adonijah reign? Now, the reason that David is going to Bathsheba is because David had made this promise, as we see here, to Bathsheba. Now, probably on account of the fact that their first child had died. If you remember the the situation that led to the death of Uriah, uh, when David, one evening, is walking around the balcony, he notices Bathsheba, sends for her, she ends up becoming pregnant, and then David ends up getting Uriah killed, and so on. Well, that child is born, but then dies. And obviously David is very upset, no doubt Bathsheba, equally so. A very traumatic experience for them both. Um, David realizing the mercy of God, uh, and so on. Interestingly enough, um, we have a, a, a story that Nathan presents of a traveler coming in and somebody, rather than taking of their own sheep, goes and takes the sheep of one poor individual and kills that sheep rather than taking out of his abundance. And he uses it to speak of the way David had the wives that he had, concubines and so on. He takes another man's wife. and It's related back to a law that's given in um, the Torah where if somebody was to take a sheep, they were to restore fourfold. And David effectively ends up taking Uriah's life and four of his sons end up dying as a result. You see, the prophetically is, is fulfilled uh, with kind of uh, quite scary detail and accuracy. So, um, again, this promise has been made to Bathsheba. So we carry on verse 14. Behold, while thou art yet talking with the king, I'll also come in after thee and confirm thy words. So Nathan concocting his plan as to how they're going to present to the king. 
And then we're told, And Bathsheba went unto the king, into the chamber, and the king was very old, and Abishag the uh, Shunammite ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance unto the king, and the king said, What wouldest thou? Again, this is this woman that David loves. And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the Lord thy God. It's always good to bring it back to God. You see, what Bathsheba was doing is reminding him that this wasn't just a promise that David had made to her, but this is something that had been signed and sealed, as it were, before God. Uh, Unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah reigns, and now, my lord the king, thou knowest it not. And he that uh, has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance and has called all the sons of the king and Abithar the priest and Job the captain of the host. But Solomon, thy servant, has he not called. And thou, my lord, O king, in the eyes of all Israel are, are, are upon thee, that thou should tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it shall come to pass that when my uh, lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. And lo, while she was yet talking with him, Nathan the prophet also came in. And they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. So now, seemingly what happens is that Bathsheba leaves the courtroom. Nathan then comes in, and we read, And when he was come in before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, Hast thou said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day, and has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, and has called the king's sons, and the captain, captains of the host, and Abithar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him, and say, God save King Adonijah. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it, that people will use God's name when it suits them. When it's kind of the politically correct thing to do. Uh, Adonijah and those with him, even though they know that they are going against the decree that God has given here, they still say, God save the king. So Nathan continues and says, but me, even thy servant. <laughs> he said, but me, even me, thy servant. You know, David, Nathan, me, they've not invited me. And Zadok the priest and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and thy servant Solomon, has he not called? Is this thing done by my lord the king? He's like, David, is this of your doing? Did you say to them to do this? And thou hast not showed unto thy servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Of course, Nathan knows the, the situation, but he's kind of just presenting this before David. And read then, David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. So now Bathsheba, again, presumably just outside somewhere in the, the palace somewhere. And so now she's brought back in. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. At this point, it would seem that then Nathan steps out as the king now speaks to Bathsheba. And the king swore and said, As the Lord lives, that has redeemed my soul out of all distress. What a lovely scripture that is. Verse 29 of 1 Kings 1. And the king swore and said, As the Lord lives, that has redeemed my soul out of all distress. You know, one of the great things we looked at in the promises of God, that God is without partiality. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God that has delivered David and redeemed his soul out of all distress could do the same for you and I. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation. David carries on and says, Even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. So David makes an absolute cast-iron declaration here of what he's going to do, his intent. 
And then Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth and did uh, reverence the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. Now, of course, that's just a, a phrase. She's not implying that she wants him to be immortal. Otherwise, the whole idea of her son sitting on the throne really makes no difference. Uh, it's just a phrase that's typically used. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet. So again, they're now outside somewhere. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and they came before the king. So now David is calling these three very significant people in Israel. Okay, these people had served the king. They were very, very highly regarded. And now these three individuals are called before David. And the king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule, and to bring him down to Gihon. Now, the, we, we find elsewhere that all the king's sons had their own mules, their own kind of mode of transport. But um, the king here specifically says that Solomon is to ride on David's own. Now, clearly it was a mule that was somehow identified. They'd have known it was David's. And once again, we've talked before that when a king would come in peace, they typically would come riding on a donkey. When they come in war, they would come on a horse. And of course, Jesus, we see when he comes in on Palm Sunday, he comes riding on a donkey. At the second coming... He comes on a white horse. The first time he comes, he comes to bring peace. The second time, he comes to establish his kingdom. He comes in war and judgment. And as Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel. And blow uh, uh, ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Now again, this is in accordance with God's will. Then you shall come up after him, that he may come and sit upon my throne, for he shall be king in my stead. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Interesting that we've got that phrase there, by the way. Because even before the kingdom is divided, there's a distinction made between Judah and then, connotatively, Israel. So we've got Israel and Judah mentioned, and this is obviously some time yet before we get to the division of the kingdom into Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. So it's just interesting, even at this point, there was that kind of understanding that there was a kind of a distinction between. Then we're told in verse 36 that Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. It's like, about time, David, we've been waiting for this. Uh, the Lord, uh, uh, sorry, the Lord God of my uh, Lord, the king, uh, say so too. So really, it's just, Benaniah here is really kind of pleased that David is finally making this, this declaration, saying what he wants. And he carries on, Benaniah carries on and says, As the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so be he with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. Again, interestingly, because Benaiah's words here seem to be prophetically fulfilled. Now, um, you detect the Holy Spirit working in all of this situation. Um, you know, so often we look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but we kind of forget the Holy Spirit was working in all of these situations in the Old Testament. And speaking through Benaiah here, this is exactly what happens. Because Solomon's throne does become greater. At the, the height of Solomon's reign is it, the, the greatest point that Israel reached as a nation, uh, or have to up until this time. It will only be surpassed when the Messiah comes and establishes again and sits on the throne of David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, 
And then we're told of these two groups that are mentioned here. Um, the the uh, Kirithites uh, is the first group, and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. Now, quite easily you could just kind of skip over these groups, these names. Basically, these are David's elite bodyguards. Now, they seem to have been gathered, whether they were all exclusively from these different people groups, but as David had gone through his years in the world and his fleeing from Saul, so others from other nations had joined with David and sided with him. And they've been David's closest friends, closest allies. And these are the royal bodyguard. Um, and David is now uh, allowing these, Zadok and Nathan and so on, uh, with these individuals are now going. This is some formidable force that is now going down with Solomon to establish him as the king. <clears throat> We're told um, that Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet and all the people say, God said, God save King Solomon. Verse 40, and all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of them. I mean, you know what it's like even in this country. We get a, uh, a coronation and uh, I mean, I've not yet been alive to see a coronation. Um, maybe I will, who knows. Um, but some of you may remember uh, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. You know, an, an incredible event, a real pomp and ceremony. And you can imagine what it was like in, in Israel at this time as this is now being done. And we're told that, you know, just the, the earth rent. You could feel the ground shaking uh, with the volume of noise of people shouting and cheering and so on. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. So they've now finished all their feasting, celebrating, and suddenly they hear this noise. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Wherefore is this noise of the city being in uproar? Now, of course, Joab being military military trained, hears a trumpet sounding, and he's ready for war. He's ready for battle. What's going on? What's happening? So he's now straight away, his ears prick up. And while he yet spoke, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abithar, the priest, came, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and bring us good tidings. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> and Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily, our lord King David has made Solomon king, and the king has sent with him Zadok the priest. And he's probably thinking, okay, not too much of a problem. And Nathan the prophet, okay, now we're worried. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and the Kirithites and the Pelethites. So this elite group now. So this isn't just some key uh, political figures. Uh, we've got the priest there, we've got the, the royal bodyguard. This is a, a formidable force. And they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. So that everybody that's going to look at this knows that this is of the king. And this is really for... Uh, Adonijah, a kind of total humiliation to the one who'd exalted himself. You know, very similar to the situation that we find with Haman. He established himself, he put himself in his position, wanting to be exalted, and suddenly he's brought down very low. The same, of course, with Satan. Wanted to have this position and is humiliated, uh, is cast down to the ground. <clears throat> of course, the honour and glory go to God's anointed. Now, Solomon, of course, in the situation here, but in type, of course, the honor and glory go to Jesus Christ. And even in this, there's this beautiful picture of Satan who wanted to establish himself, who wanted to claim the world, who wanted to receive the adulation and the praise and the worship from people on the earth. 
And of course, he's humiliated. And Jesus Christ, the one who is God's anointed, he will be established. He will sit on the throne and he will receive all the praise, all the glory. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon. And they have come up from thence rejoicing so that the city rang again. This is the noise that you've heard. And also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. So now they've come back from this celebration, Solomon and his uh, party as it were, and now Solomon is actually sat on David's throne. Of course, Christ too will sit on the throne of David and all his enemies will be subdued before him. The types here are quite wonderful if you kind of dig into it and look at it. Psalm 110 verse 1, we just read there, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And you know, the father's hands here, um, of the father hands the throne to the son. That's what happens. David is giving his throne to his son. And we see, of course, the same with God the father, who gives the throne and the kingdom to his son. And moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord the king, saying, God, make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon the bed. And also, uh, thou said, uh, sorry, uh, thus said the king, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which has given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. I mean, it was a great blessing for David to see that his son has now taken this position of, of king. And then we're told, verse 49, and all the guests that were Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. You know, you're all, they're kind of sitting around, they've just had this feast and all going, is that the time? I, I need to be going. They suddenly realize that they're in the wrong camp. They've put their trust in the wrong person. They've trusted somebody who's appointed themselves into a position of authority, not trusting one who God has appointed in a position of authority. And we can make much of that, I'm sure. Uh, lots of types we could draw from that idea. Nevertheless, these individuals, uh, we're told, kind of get out of there as quick as they can. They recognize they don't want to have anything to do with the Donager at this particular moment in time. And Adonijah feared because, Solomon, uh, because of Solomon arose and went and caught hold of the horns of the altar. On the basis, of course, that because it's the altar, nobody's going to be put to death there. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for lo, he's caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. Now Solomon was probably about 21 years old. Okay, looking at the chronology, uh, about 21 years old, Solomon. So clearly these other brothers would have been a little bit older than that. Um, certainly um, David seems to have had um, Absalom when he was about 33 years old. Uh, just to give you some idea of kind of the time scale over which David had these children. Um, but Solomon would have been a child born to David in his latter years. <clears throat> Solomon said... Um, that if uh, he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. Now, just to conclude, let's just take us through chapter 2. Most of it's just text, but you'll see how all this ties together. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Now, what David effectively is doing here is telling him, as we see, that you've got to follow God. 
That's the way your kingdom will be established. That's the way you'll be successful. He says, verse 3, And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou may prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Now David isn't just giving this as kind of a, that's what we should do, that's what I've been told, that's what you've got to do. David is speaking from experience. You see, David had had moments in his life when he hadn't followed God, where he hadn't gone along with the the judgments, the testimonies and so on that was written in the law of Moses, but had made his own decisions. And as a result of that, David had suffered. The nation had suffered. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 14, chapter 5 verse 1, 11, 1 and so on. Those are being the slides, you can look at them uh, during the week if you get opportunity. Just you know, some of the things that are mentioned where God encourages the people to follow his law, to keep his statutes, to keep his laws uh, and the blessing would come as a result. Deuteronomy 11.14 is interesting because it's just a part of this condition of trusting the Lord, keeping his judgments and so on. And it's that I will give you rain, the rain of your land in his due season. Now David had experienced this. The, the land had suffered a famine in David's days because of a breach of God's laws and God's rules. And David now is just saying to Solomon, look, don't play games with God. You can't think you're going to get away with it. You can't go against that which God has said and expect everything's going to be fine. And so this challenge is brought upon Solomon here. And really the same challenge this morning for us, we've already spoken about our hearts and how the way our hearts can be so deceitful and lead us to things that are not of God. You know, And the challenge really is that we remember that we are to keep God's statutes, his commandments, the things that he's already instructed us and told us. We can't think that we're going to get away with it. And David had learned the hard way, that there is no shortcut. You can't have the blessings of God and then try to do things your way and expect that to remain. So David carrying on speaking to Solomon, that the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there should not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. So this great promise that's been given, incredible promise. Now, you may remember back in Deuteronomy that we have this great portion where God is preparing the land for when a king comes. And we're told this, Deuteronomy 17, picking up verse 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set king, him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. So God already saying, don't you go and pick a king, which is the mistake they of course made with, with Saul effectively. But God's saying, let me choose. And God, of course, in his context, is the one that's chosen Solomon to be king. One from among thy brethren, thou shalt set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself. Now we'll see how Solomon messes these things up. But for now, this is what was the instruction. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Or another area that we'll see Solomon really fail in. Uh, that his heart turned not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Three things. Every single one of them, Solomon fails. 
you know, the challenge, and I've heard uh, Chuck Misler and a number of other Bible commentators say this, the challenge is always finishing well. You know, that is the hard thing for us as Christians. You know, we can live a good, godly life, but finishing well is the real challenge. You know, it's so easy to get led astray, to get deceived, to think that we've got all the answers, we've got the experience now, we're safe, we're okay, and suddenly to find that we've been deceived. You know, wherever you are in your Christian life, be careful. We are never beyond deception from the enemy. We need to be discerning. And it shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, they shall write him a copy of this law uh, in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law, these statutes, to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Notice there's a promise there that our children will also be blessed if we are obedient. Got a significant promise there. We'll see that Solomon fails in so many regards um, and his children are impacted as a result of these things. Let's just carry on and read through to the end of the chapter. Moreover, thou knowest also uh, what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, we mentioned that earlier, and to Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace, but put the blood of war upon his girdle um, that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Um, Do therefore according to thy wisdom... So David's saying, I'll let you decide what you want to do, and let not his head go down to the grave in peace. So it's very clear instructions, really. But show kindness unto the sons of uh, Barzillai, the uh, Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, thy brother. Now this individual, uh, Barzillai, uh, again, has shown great kindness to David, uh, and David wants that to be remembered, wants Solomon to remember. And behold, uh, thou hast with thee Shimei the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Bahurim, uh, which caused me with a, sorry, with cursed me with a grievous curse in the day that I went to Mahanaim. Um, but he came down to meet me at Jordan, uh, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now David had made this promise to this individual, um, this, uh, Shimei, um, but clearly now he's giving Solomon the instruction to deal with it. You can read about the, the cursing as Solomon, sorry, as David flees from Absalom in 2 Samuel 16, and you see how this individual was just so uh, bitter and twisted and uh, so horrible towards David. Um, and David now saying to Solomon, I want you to deal with that. Now therefore, hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man and knowest what thou ought to do unto him. Again, kind of, I'll let you decide what you do. And then he adds, but his whole head, bring thou down to the grave with blood. Uh, David's very clear about the outcome he would like to see for this individual. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. You know, the kingdom never really comes back to such a great place spiritually as it does under David. Uh, for many respects, although there are some really good kings that will follow on. Uh, I say there are, some, there are five good kings that we'll see. And the days of David reigned over uh, sorry the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years seven years he reigned in Hebron and thirty three years reigned he in Jerusalem. 
And then Solomon sat upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And here he goes again. And she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Yeah, I'm coming peaceably. I just want to, want to chat, if that's okay. His mother said, oh, Sorry, he said, uh, moreover, uh, I have somewhat to say to thee. And she said, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine. No, it wasn't. <laughs> And that all Israel set their faces on me. No, they didn't. Uh, that I should reign. Well, no, actually you didn't. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about and is become my brothers. It was always your brothers. Um, but nevertheless, he's putting this little plea in to kind of a, you know, please have you know, sympathy for me for my hard luck situation. Um, for it was his from the Lord. <laughs> Interestingly, he makes that acknowledgement. And now I ask one petition of thee, deny me not. So he's laid this kind of real sob story, how hard done by he's been. And so Bathsheba said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say uh, to his, he will not say uh, thee nay. In other words, he's, he's going to do whatever you ask him because you're his mum. That he may give me Abishag the Shunammite to wife. So now this woman that effectively had been given to David uh, to keep him warm. Now um, Adonijah is saying, I want to marry her. And Bathsheba said, well, okay, I'll speak to the king. And then, verse 19, we told Bathsheba, therefore, went unto the king, unto king Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed, herself unto, uh, sorry, and bowed himself unto her and sat down uh, on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say not to me nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, mother, for I will not say thee nay. You know, God, you're my mum. Well, what do you want? What can I do for you? And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. You know, oh, go on. You know, you, you, got, you got to be king. He didn't. You know, let's give him something, shall we? That kind of idea is the way it's presented. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, <laughs> quite um, sarcastically, really. And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shulamite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. Give him everything. Why not? For he is my elder brother. Even for him and for Abithar the priest and for Joab the son of Zariah. So just kind of with a bit of sarcasm. Solomon's just saying, just give him everything. Why not? Then King Solomon swore by the Lord saying, God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. You see, Solomon recognized what's going on. This is another play by Adonijah, no doubt inspired by the devil, to try and usurp Solomon. Typically, whoever ended up with the concubines of the king, the previous king, would be seen as being the next king. That's why he wanted Abishag. It's not a case of he loved her or anything necessarily like that. This is purely a political situation to manipulate the opinion of the people to try and put himself on the throne and usurp uh, Solomon. Solomon recognizes it immediately for what it is. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, which has established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised Adonijah, shall he be put to death this day. Sorry, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. And unto Abathar the priest, the king said, Get thee to Anathoth, that was a place where the, the priest lived, unto thine own fields. 
for thou art worthy of death. Clearly there was a conspiracy. This wasn't just um, um, this individual, this brother or half-brother of Solomon uh, making this play on his own. There's a conspiracy. Abathar is in with this as well. And so Solomon says, leave, go away. I should put you to death. He says, but I will not at this time put thee to death because thou bearest the ark of the Lord God before David my father and because thou hast been afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon recognizing what this individual has been through with his father and saying, because of that, go. Just leave, get out of the city. I don't need to be part of this anymore. So Solomon thrust out Abithar from being priest unto the Lord. Now there's a prophetic reason for this as well that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. You see, you remember Eli and his sons, his sons were wicked sons, and God pronounced through a prophet that just walks in the door one day, speaks to Eli and says that the Lord is going to rip away uh, the, the priesthood from your family. And then through young Samuel, who has that dream. You know, remember... Um, Samuel, Samuel, and then eventually he goes to Eli and he says, when you hear the voice again, say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. And eventually he gets the message from the Lord and God tells him what is going to happen, that not only Eli is going to die, but his sons are going to die and the priesthood is going to be taken away from them. Well, this is the final fulfilling of that. As the descendants of Eli and uh, the sons, Honos and Phineas, uh, Phineas, the sons of uh, of Eli here, um, are, uh, then their descendants have obviously come all the way down to this point, uh, and now God is putting an end to their uh, being part of the priesthood. Again, we don't mess with God. God, well, we, we, we're told so many times in Scripture um, that we shouldn't play with God. God, we must take seriously. Verse 28, then tidings came to Joab, for Joab turned after Adonijah. So again, he's part of this conspiracy, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. Now, obviously, Adonijah had tried this. He'd been spared. Joab thinks, well, surely I'll be okay. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord. And behold, he's by the altar. And Solomon sent Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, say, go and fall upon him. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus says the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here, thinking probably he'd be safe there. And Benaiah brought uh, the king word again, saying, Thus says Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, Do as he said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou may take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. So now these things... Solomon didn't immediately go out to seek revenge on these individuals that have been highlighted by David. But at the time when they then commit acts of treason, which is exactly what they were doing, they're then put to death for them. And obviously this kind of whole circle is closed. For their own iniquity again, they're being put to death. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon uh, two men more righteous and better than he. And slew them with the sword, my father David, not knowing thereof to wait. In other words, it wasn't David's decision to put Abner and Amasa, uh, Abner the son of Ner, uh, the captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Again, interesting that we have that distinction between Israel and Judah prior to the division of the monarchy. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever, but upon David and upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne shall there be peace forever from the Lord. 
So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and fell upon him and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king, in fact, just before I just read the next section, you see, again, the danger of following your own heart. It just comes back to that verse that the Lord has led Jared to share with us today. You know, we looked earlier from Proverbs. You know, the heart, it's so important that we don't get led astray. The end of those things, the end of the way that seems right to a man is death. And we see it played out dramatically and graphically here in these accounts of people that followed their own heart rather than following God. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But now we kind of have a positive. We talk, uh, but and the king put Benaiah the son of Jehoiada in his room over the host. He gets a promotion. He gets appointed his position. And Zadok the priest did the king put in the room of Abithar. So these other individuals now they've removed from office, and these other people that have been faithful, uh, Benaiah and Zadok, are now p- uh, promoted. And the king sent and called Shimei and said unto him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and go not forth thence uh, any whither. So you're going to stay in Jerusalem. You're under house arrest in Jerusalem effectively because of, well, in fact, for it shall be that on the day thou goest down and passest over the brook Kidron, um, and this is just kind of the side of Jerusalem, uh, thou shalt know for certain that thou shalt surely die. Thy blood shall be upon thine own head. Now, again, King Solomon is not just, just randomly saying these things. Not only is David encouraged him to say it, but this man is a threat to the throne. Because he could also go and start to amass some sort of army and try and bring some sort of coup. He's a very dangerous character, so he's under house arrest in Jerusalem. And Shimei said unto the king, Thou, uh, so the saying is good, as my lord the king said, so will thy servant do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. But it came to pass, it came to pass at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away unto Achish, the son of uh, Mechah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Behold, thy servants be in Garth. And Shimei rose and saddled his ass and went to Garth to Achish to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Garth. Now, again, the Philistines still enemies of Israel, even though subdued at this point. Um, but then we're told, it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Garth and was come again. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Did I not make thee swear by the Lord? And protested unto thee, saying, Know for certain on the day that thou goest out and walkest abroad, uh, anywhere you go, that you shall surely die. And you said unto me, The word that I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with? And the king said moreover to Shimei, Thou knowest all the wickedness which thy heart is privy to, and thou didst to David my father, therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon thine own head. And King Solomon uh, shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded uh, Benaiah, and the son of, uh, sorry, the son of Jehida, uh, which went out and fell upon him, and he died. And so we get to this position now that all of these potential Threats to Solomon's kingdom, threats to his reign are now removed. And the one that God wanted on the throne is now established. And this chapter 2 concludes and says, And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. You see, that which God, God builds is secure. It's a sure foundation. It's built on a rock. That which man builds is on the sand. I think Jesus said something along those lines, didn't he? 
You know, and again, the lessons for us in these things are to make sure we build on a sure and solid foundation. And that won't be a foundation that's based upon our hearts, our own desires, our own opinions, our own thoughts. It will be based upon God, on his word, on his promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Father, we thank you for these lessons. And Lord, although so much of this is history, Lord, we see, again, many applications to our own lives. And Lord... It seems today that you are telling us that we've got to look at our own hearts, see what it is that we're drawn to, see what we're, we're pulled into. And Father, to reject anything that is not of you. Father, we ask for wisdom, we ask for discernment, we ask for your grace, that Lord, we would walk in your paths. Lord, not leaning upon our own understanding, but Lord, in all our ways acknowledging you. And Lord, just as Solomon declared, just as David knew, knowing that if we acknowledge you, you will direct our paths and there will be blessings. Father, we just thank you for these lessons. Just impress them upon our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.